Hey, New City Church, I want to thank you for your grace and for your patience in this season. Uh, we are working on figuring out the most effective way of communicating to you when we're not able to meet in community uh, on Sunday nights or even in our small groups. Um, I'm actually sitting in one of my uh, favorite spots in Wilmore. Sorry if it's shaky. The table's a little bit more shaky than I thought. Uh, but this is actually the uh, Asbury University baseball field overlooking some Kentucky countryside, which uh, if you know me, being outside is one of the ways I connect with the Lord. And so I thought it would be fitting for me to teach tonight um, sitting outside. And uh, I just wanted to encourage you as well to find spaces that uh, help you get to the feet of Jesus in this season. Um, these are uncertain times. Um, there's a lot of fear and anxiety that is going around about the future and, and this COVID-19 virus, um, we can easily find things to temporarily uh, give us rest like Netflix um, or a project at home to distract us or video calling a friend. Um, these things aren't in themselves bad, but they, they provide a temporary rest. They don't provide this everlasting peace, this everlasting rest that Jesus is talking about in uh, Matthew 11. So if it helps you to find a physical space, uh, like it helps me, uh, I, would, I would encourage you to get to that space, get to that spot, uh, pray and wait on the Lord to speak to you. Whatever he has to say, just, just wait for him. Uh, one of my favorite prayers that Hannah's put together for us this week uh, for our, our Zoom prayer meetings um, throughout the week is, uh, it comes from Lamentations 3, uh, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, but to the soul that seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Isaiah 33 says, O Lord, be gracious to us. We wait for you. Be our arm every morning and our salvation in times of trouble. So New City Church, that's my prayer for us today. Uh, I'll open us as we jump into the word. Uh, Father, I thank you for um, your word. I thank you that it is a testimony of who you are. Lord, you uh, are great. Your faithfulness is great. Lord, your mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning, and I thank you for that. I thank you for places of rest where we can come and sit at your feet. I thank you for me that's the outdoors, and Lord, I ask that you would encourage my friends, my family at New City to uh, seek out those places, and Lord, I ask that you would meet them there as well. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, uh, we've got quite a bit to cover. We have... Um, chapters uh we have chapter 9 verse 30 through all the way through the end of chapter 10 uh it's quite a bit of scripture but i want to break it into sections that way it's easy for us to follow along um as we've been studying in mark on uh sundays i wanted to point out that the chap the all the chapters leading up to this point have really flown by uh in terms of us studying them but also uh this these first 10 chapters cover about three years of Jesus's ministry and the last uh, 11 through 15 takes place over one week. So you can kind of see here uh, Peter through Mark uh, is drastically slowing down the pace where he was quick paced before with immediately 
uh, where it's like immediately over, he used over and over again. But these two chapters, we really see the story slow down. Um, as we get close to Easter, uh, Brian Scott's coming to us next week to teach on uh, Mark 11, which is the triumphal entry. It's really cool how um, the triumphal entry uh, chapter lands actually on Palm Sunday. Um, really kind of cool. Praise the Lord for that. Um, but reflecting back a few weeks ago when we were able to gather together with Ed um, in the plantry, he drew us a map of Israel uh, and pointed to where Jesus was in relation to that. So if you remember that geographical area, Jesus was up in the northern area near the Sea of Galilee. And Mika taught last week on the Transfiguration, uh, which is really the pinnacle or the turning point of the book of Mark. Um, and as Jesus was up in this northern area in chapters 9 uh, into verse, uh, chapters 10, Jesus sets his eyes on Israel. He starts to head south um, towards Jerusalem. So, uh, throughout the end of chapter 9 and chapter 10, you'll see Jesus and his disciples traveling through Israel to get to Jerusalem. There's just a few more things Jesus wants to teach to his disciples before they get there. Now, I want to cover them briefly, uh, but spend the majority of our time on Jesus' urgency, what he focuses on, and what he had to remind the disciples actually three times about what was going to happen in the coming week. So, if you haven't already, uh, I would encourage you to read the passages for today. Uh, hit pause, read Mark 9, verses 30 through the end of chapter 10. Uh, and I would encourage you just to read it straight through. Uh, let the word speak to you what it has for you. So go ahead and pause this video uh, and take some time to read the passage. Now I want you guys to go back to this passage. If you want to reread it again with these questions in mind, that's fine. Uh, ask yourself, what is Jesus trying to teach and who is Jesus uh, teaching it to? And what, what's important about it? What sticks out? Uh, so go ahead again, hit pause. Uh, and ask those questions. Uh, since we aren't able to uh, reflect together like we normally do around round tables, I want to briefly walk us through um, a few of these stories uh, with those previous questions in mind. So uh, Jesus is trying to teach his disciples a few more things before they get to Jerusalem. And in chapter 9, verse 33, uh, we see the disciples arguing amongst themselves about who's the greatest. Um, it's kind of silly in light of what actually just happened a few uh, uh, verses ago. Jesus is transfigured before them. He's glorified right in front of them. He says he must die and come again. And here they are. They're, they are um, they're arguing about who is the greatest among them. Who's the most important. Um, and Jesus here, he confronts them on their pride. He confronts them by saying... Um, if you want to be the greatest, you must become the least of these. You must be humble. You must be a servant of servants. Serve everyone around you. And uh, in an act of uh, a visible demonstration, he picks up a child uh, and says, whoever receives a child receives me. Now, in, in the context of this passage, in the culture of the time, children weren't considered to be very important. So Jesus is taking this. Uh, he's actually confronting their pride and how they think they're important. Jesus wants to hum us to humble ourselves to receive those who are the least in the eyes of the world. 
Um, he doesn't want us to position ourselves to think that we are better than others uh, or more important. He doesn't want us to uh, be concerned with our social status by name dropping or getting introduced to important people or saying we know these important people um, for the sake of our own social positioning. Um, he wants us to be humbled. He wants us to receive with love those who the world deems unimportant. Put ourselves aside. We, the matter is not of who, who's the greatest, um, but love those who the world deems unimportant. And in the next passage, Jesus confronts um, the disciples in another way. They come to him frustrated because uh, there's a man or a person who's casting out demons in the name of Jesus, but he's not one of the 12. He's not, he's not following Jesus uh, as the disciples are. And they say that he, they are not following us. The key word here is us. Um, this person wasn't conforming to their way of doing things. Uh, so Jesus... Um, confronts them and says no one who does work in my name will speak evil of me people who uh, minister for my sake won't speak evil against me meaning that just because this person isn't following as the disciples are following that doesn't mean they're not doing the work of Christ how often I've been convicted how often um, do we get frustrated with other believers because they aren't doing ministry the way we think they should be doing ministry um, I'll let that sit in for a little while if you want. Um, the following passage, Jesus confronts how um, they handle or uh, react to sin in their own life. Um, he says uh, here, he says, uh, if your eye causes you to stumble, if your hand causes you to uh, sin, cut it off. Now, he's not meaning this literally, but he is meaning it with that seriousness. He's meaning it with that kind of... Uh, kind of dramatic sense like this is serious if it's hindering you as a christian if it's causing you to sin cut it off get rid of it if your phone causes you or tempts you to look at things that you shouldn't be looking at get rid of your phone cut it off install applications there's many applications to block that kind of content or those things if drinking alcohol makes you susceptible to sin or drunkenness Throw it in the trash. Pour it down the drain. Uh, don't, don't go to those places that cause you to sin. Don't do those things that put you in a situation to be tempted to sin. Things that are, are hindering you, uh, they can vary from person to person. Uh, for someone, a smartphone uh, may not make them sin as much as, as, much as it does for others. Uh, drinking a little bit of alcohol may not cause people to uh, sin as it may others. Uh, so, so don't look at others and judge them. Have Jesus look at you. Have Jesus assess how you are doing, how your heart is. Don't judge others. Have have an inward perspective uh, and cut, cut that sin out of your life. I would go on, uh, but for time's sake, instead of going story by story, I'm, I'm going to ask you to examine the rest of these on your own. If you're with your family, go through them with them. Asking these questions, um, ask your roommates this question. Who is the Lord trying to teach uh, in this passage? What is he trying to teach them? And what, what's challenging uh, to them? What stands out to you? What's challenging to you? But I want to focus our time today uh, focused on what Jesus uh, was focused on. He was focused on Jerusalem. He foretold about his death three times in this passage, twice in this passage, and once uh, in chapter 8, like we'll read. So if you have your Bible and you want to turn 
I turn to Mark 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 31. Mark 8, chapter 31 says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your minds on the thing on the thing you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. In calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my name's sake will save it. And as we see in uh, chapter 9, verses uh, 30, uh, they went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples to say to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. When he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. And then one more time in uh, chapter 10, verse 32, he said, uh, And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. They were amazed, and for those who followed him, they were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was going to happen, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will be condemned, they condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Now, before these passages, the disciples, uh, we see the disciples have seen Jesus do some amazing things. He raised somebody from the dead. He was healing people of, like, of their sicknesses, of their blindness, people who couldn't walk. Jesus was delivering people from demonic oppression. Um, he calmed the storm at the sea. But they didn't, they didn't understand now what was Jesus saying? He was going to be killed and that he was going to rise again in three days. They couldn't comprehend what they were saying. They'd just seen him transfigured in glory uh, on the mountain. Surely this was the moment that Jesus would ride into Jerusalem and conquer it and rule the world. Peter actually rebukes Jesus here. But Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. What Jesus is saying is you're not asking what God wants. Your, your mind is focused on what you want, what you're expecting. You don't know the will of the Father because God's ways aren't human ways. To follow Jesus, we must give up our life. As it says in Mark uh, chapter 8, 34 through 35, the disciples didn't understand this. And we see that throughout chapters 9 and 10. They kind of wrestle with some new things. Jesus is still trying to teach them uh, the things of God. But to follow Jesus means that we must give up our own life. We must pick up our own cross and follow Jesus. Just as Jesus was transfigured, Jesus was transfigured for a moment before uh, the cross, but to follow Jesus, we must give up our life, as it says in Mark chapter 8 through 34. The disciples didn't understand this, and we actually see that through chapters uh, 9 and 10. Jesus is still trying to teach them the things of God. But to follow Jesus means that we must give up our life. 
we must pick up our own cross and follow Jesus. Jesus was transfigured just for a moment uh, before the cross and as a, as a glimpse of what was to come, but he first had to go down the road of suffering. There's a quote from a, a German theologian named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. There, there's a cost to being a Christian. The first cost that, that was paid was Jesus paid for it uh, with his life on the cross. The second cross is that we also must die. Bonhoeffer calls this a, a costly grace. The Bible doesn't promise an easy life for a Christian. He doesn't promise, the Bible doesn't promise prosperity. But we must die to ourselves so that Christ may live in us. And if I can turn to Galatians 2, 20. We said it a lot at New City. Um, two, Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And this life that I live now in the flesh, I live in faith. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. Sometimes this, this just seems like beautiful poetry, but but there's a reality for us as Christians. There's a reality that means that we give up our desires. We give up uh, our preferences for God's. What is God's desires? What's his will? And we take on the things of God as Jesus was saying. There's a road of suffering that uh, all Christians must share in Christ. And Christ is trying to emphasize this to, to his disciples. There will be suffering. There will even be death but it's for a future glory. You see this in James, uh, or you see this in the story of James and John in chapter 10 of them asking to sit at the right hand of God. He's asking, are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? Maybe this COVID-19 pandemic will shaken us out of our Western mindset of, of a world, um, of living in a world that is uh, in harmony without Jesus. Maybe the Lord is trying to shake the church and awaken us out of this illusion that Christianity is merely forgiveness and roses. Um, I, I don't mean that forgiveness isn't a part of it, but I want us to understand in light of Easter coming up, in light of this passion narrative, and in light of this story, we too as Christians must also share in the sufferings of Jesus. Now, if I can turn to Philippians, um, Philippians 3, uh, chapter, or chapter 3, verse 8. It says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but rather through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings and becoming like him, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. There's, there's coming a day when this will all be worth it. For the, the disciples got to visibly see Jesus glorified and transfigured. They got to see Jesus crucified and buried, ro rose again and ascended into heaven. But New City Church, there's coming a day when Jesus will descend out of the sky, coming down from heaven. He will remove all this pain 
and all this suffering, all of it will vanish and he will resurrect all the believers and we will be glorified with him. New City Church, this, this, this is our hope. Our hope is in the resurrection. So in a time of uncertainty, in the time um, of this pandemic, uh, there's fear and anxiety, uh, there's uncertainty. Um, but my prayer is that the Lord would set us free from these things. He would renew our minds that these sufferings are momentary. This pandemic will end. This season will come to an end. But the truth is that Jesus will come again. And as I close, I want to read out 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verses 50 through 58. I tell you this, brothers, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling eye at the, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this imperishable, bo imperishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortal, or in the, the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is not in the power, uh, the, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So New City Church, that's my prayer for us. Lord, would you give us the grace to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work, keeping our eyes on the resurrection, keeping our eyes on Christ Jesus. These momentary things will pass away. The suffering will pass away. COVID-19 will pass away. And Jesus, you will come again. Father, I thank you for your son. I thank you for his uh, suffering. I thank you for his crucifixion. And Lord, I thank you for his death, his resurrection, and the resurrection that is promised to all those who confess in his name. Lord, would you be with my friends? Would you be with my family at New City Church? Lord, would you strengthen them in Jesus' name? Amen.